0: do, how deep is it? Could it, do you think, withstand personal tragedy? To forgive is divine, isn't it? But when the whole truth is revealed, then perhaps the strain shows. Are we all worth a second chance? Ask your God. Prayers for an angry God. Charles sits anxiously in the restaurant. He looks at his watch. He straightens his tie. He rearranges the cutlery. He notices his reflection in a spoon. He picks up the spoon and stares at it. He pats down a stray hair, using the spoon as a mirror. He checks his teeth. He doesn't notice that his date has arrived. She checks to make sure she's got the right man. Charles? Spoon? I'm Kim. She offers her hand. Charles stands up, still holding the spoon. He puts it down. They shake, and into the gesture, into the grip, into the palm, pressing on palm, a universe of hope and despair, of history, shame, desire, redemption, or maybe not. It's just a handshake, after all. May I sit down? Of course. I'm so sorry. Of course. I hope I haven't kept you waiting. Not at all. I decided on five minutes late— as opposed to dead-on time, or outrageously late. Absolutely. But you went for dead-on time. Well, no, actually, I went for nervously early. I thought I might need to compose myself. You look very composed. No, you caught me looking at myself in a spoon. I may never recover. Don't worry. I'm sure everybody says, I've never done this before, even if they do it every week, but I've never done this before. I have. Really? A couple of times. Oh dear, you have youth, beauty and experience on your side. But I didn't like them, and I thought you sounded more interesting. That's very kind of you. Not many people describe themselves as a biblical scholar. Disclosure. Essential to progress anything, of course, but also a risk. All that experience, good and bad. So much to tell, so much to conceal, so much to declaim, so much to regret. They are brimming with the need to speak, with the need to reveal, but also to select and to edit. The fear of giving too much away, of blurting it all out and changing the delicate, oh so finely balanced tone that is setting its own pace now. Don't ruin it, don't say too much, don't say too little. "'Have you ever been married?' "'Yes, have you?' "'No, never. I'm a widower.' "'Right. She died a long time ago.' "'And has there been anyone since?' "'There has not. Regrettably.' "'I see. Is that a bad thing?' He begins to fret. He has exposed himself as a pitiful creature. His past is tragic. But he doesn't want her to feel sorry for him. And yet all he did was tell the truth and answer her question.' And the question itself was innocent enough. She was asking, not interrogating. Conversation after five minutes is already making him sweat. No wonder he has spent so long avoiding this kind of scenario. What did he expect? So, Charles, do you have any kids? Yes, I have a son. Does he live with you? No, no, he's grown up, so he tells me. He's off in Brazil at the moment. On holiday? Work, actually. Well, what he calls work taking photographs and stirring up trouble. You're not close. Close? That's a big question. I'm not really sure. Sometimes, sometimes not. Sometimes is perfectly okay. And do you have any children? No. Ever wanted them? Yes, desperately, but at that time in my life I wasn't ready. It wouldn't have been fair, and by the time I was... Well, it was too late. I'm sorry is apologising. He promised himself he would not spend the evening apologising. But what a habit it has become. Maybe even a tactic, like inverse paranoia, start from the abject as a protection against hurt. But what a wonder she is. She is sticking with it. And you know, even if she is just being polite, even if they never see each other again, well, five minutes stretches to ten, to half an hour. And the quiet delight of her company, gradually overcomes his fear of being found out. They talk, they eat, they drink a little. He almost begins to relax, and he's listening too, listening to the sorrow that he thinks he detects in the background music of her speech. So what do you think, Charles? Are we compatible? He stands at the lectern in front of his first-year theology students. How many times has he done this? But he enjoys it, even though he knows that theology students these days have an almost total absence of faith, even though they will all end up working in banks or advertising or on the dole, even though they may still catch a glimpse here of another world, of a sense of wonder, perhaps. There is a possibility, or is he now veering to the grandiose, and this possibility is the beginning of all belief, that they may even, just for a moment, start to understand the real meaning of awe. Admit the doubt. Allow the questions. Face head-on the many challenges to your faith. Don't hide away behind the scripture, brandishing it as a shield against dangerous illumination. Stand in the full glare of its flaws, and let its arguments be lost, one by one. And then, probing deeper still with heart and intellect shattered, rebuild your faith, humbled and fortified by knowledge. So let us begin. First, the Bible is not history. If it were history, it could be corroborated by the archaeological record. Sadly, archaeology is largely silent. There is no mention, for example, in the Egyptian annals of the exodus of the Jews. No reference at all to the loss of a pharaoh and an entire army in the waves of the Red Sea. Secondly, the Bible is full of contradictions. In the beginning, Adam and Eve are created at the same time, A few verses later, Eve is created from Adam's rib. Why leave in two versions if you're trying to be definitive? Thirdly, many of the stories are actually adapted from other older literatures. Noah's Flood is a retelling of an Akkadian poem. Moses in the bulrushes is the legend of King Sargon. Babel is an obvious contraction of Babylon. It is myth, and -and mix-and-match myth at that Fourthly, the Bible is highly selective. Christians took the scrolls of the Jewish sacred texts and hammered them into a book, a codex. They decided on the order, grouping together certain stories in something they called the Old Testament, to give a clear sense of sequence, rather than the Jewish open quest. They decided what to include and what to exclude, like the Gospel according to Thomas, and more dangerously, according to Mary Magdalene. Fifthly, the Bible is a confusion of languages. The Old Testament is written in Aramaic, Hebrew and Greek. The New Testament entirely in Greek. But all of the Bible is written in a language or a version of a language that was not spoken by the people it describes. Sixthly, there is no original. In English, we have translations of translations of transcripts of transcripts. The earliest piece of either testament in any language that we can date is a Greek fragment of the Gospel of John from about 130 AD. Seventhly, each new version of the Bible is engaged in a power struggle with the previous one. The authorised version, a serene music of words and cadences, lends a beautiful but utterly spurious unity to this strange collection of ancient texts, in order to crowd out the legitimacy and power of its rivals, the Geneva Bible and the Catholic Reims Bible. These are the contradictions. We allow them. We accept them. Why? Because they are necessary for our faith. Our Bible, this invention of tradition and myth, is the great Intertext, soaked in a thousand languages and literatures. It has no origin, because it contains everything. He teaches. He sees Kim. Things develop. A tentative first kiss. An eager embrace. Dinners, films, long walks in the park. Eventually, but maybe not inevitably, they agree to a clumsy undressing here it is then, the timid but yearning glow of sex, self-consciousness slowly dissolving into generous curiosity. And also, with a sensitive grace, they unfold some more of the fraught narrative of themselves. The clear, direct passion of her faith impresses him. He subjects his own to scrutiny and finds himself wanting. Nevertheless, he continues to try to inspire his first year's even as the dreary essays mount. So why, in the face of such obvious contradictions and such clear refutations, is it still possible to believe? And why is the Bible still relevant to our lives? Because the Bible is not false, it is performative. The Bible itself is, is an act of will, and it is only if we are mired in the dull obsession with history as recorded fact that we see the Bible as wrong. The Bible is not fiction, it is inspiration. Mankind constructed the Bible, and this is proof of the divine. Not the proof of archaeology, but the proof of the spirit. It is the function of the divine to repair the damages of time The divine myth is not afraid, therefore, of contradiction and anachronism. But, you say, what of this cruel god of the Old Testament, this smiter and slayer and bringer of plagues? And I tell you, this is a young god, a god under siege. Tolerance and love of strangers is a luxury dependent on secured power. Those who preach harmony today were slaughtering the enemy only yesterday. Be patient, God will evolve. Judaism gave us the book. In the heat of suffering and persecution, they gave us the book, and Christians took up the book. Through the beautiful myth of Christ, whereby they transformed the abject defeat of one man into the transcendental victory of God, They were able to give the book renewed and reinvigorated to everyone. The kingdom of God was for the Gentiles as well, for the world, not just for Jerusalem. But they could not do this without organization, and they could not organize without reaching some sort of understanding with the kings and the emperors. In order for you to receive the message of the love of Christ, there had to be a church, and this church had to be ruthless and hierarchical. The Gospels, those fabulous documents of non-objective indoctrination, would not have reached us without a Church to carry them to us. Without the book, without papyrus and the scroll, without parchment and the codex, without paper and printing, there is no love of God. Without the love of God and the blood of the Saviour, there is no possibility of equality, or socialism, or multi-ethnic diversity, and there will be no possibility of these things if we give up on Christ and God and the Bible. For if we are to be bound together as loving, dignified human beings, then that must be by reference to a higher authority that precedes us in time and survives us when we are gone. She told him that she had found Christ at a very difficult time in her life, but that opening her heart had been the most wonderful liberation. She did not say that she had been saved. She said that declaring personal salvation was presumptuous and arrogant. And they fell into a comfortable meander around the sharp edges of each other's lives and how quickly he assumed that he knew what there was to know and how quickly he presumed that he had shown and continued to demonstrate that he understood, was empathetic, was evidently patient and wise. The news came through that his son, Jacob, a suitably proud and biblical appellation, had been shot in some kind of land protest in Brazil, fighting the good fight or indulging the indulgence of affluent political agitation. This is what he had often accused his boy of doing, But now that he would never see Jacob again, except as a repatriated body-bag, his world collapsed. His carefully constructed affirmation of the divine crumbled, ashes to ashes indeed. It was replaced by rage and alcohol. So rapidly he descended. Only now did he expound upon the qualities of a child he had spent his life criticising. Only now did he examine the vast range of selfishness of which he had absolved himself for so long. He had loved his wife, he had loved his son, and the opportunity to explore how deeply he had loved was now amplified by the bottle. And there was Kim, willing to absorb and to hear and endlessly to guide his fury to a place of cooling. And his admiration grew, and his resentment grew, and his emotional intelligence was skewered by doubt and bloody-mindedness. The grief, it was interminable. The self-pity, too, with occasional queries about Kim's welfare. Loss was everything, he thought. But he wondered a little, in the few moments he gave over to real thought, if he was using loss to cover the shoddy evidence of his tracks. He had not been a good father. He had not been a good husband. He was not, could not be, could never be a good man. What then can you do with a still blazing offer of further love? Charles, a little tipsy, a bit pissed. Again, catastrophe rears its ugly face and I rush headlong into the clutches of mother alcohol. Have you been drinking all day? Oh, yes. Whiskey for lunch? Well, it looks like apple juice. What's the difference? Where's the harm? Your liver's taking a pounding. Yes, but surely that's what the liver is for. The trick of life is to kill off your liver gradually as you grow older. So when you die, you've only got a sliver of liver left, so to speak. Anything else would be a waste. Have one, I insist. I don't think so. Please, just a sip. Chin-chin. God, it's disgusting. "'Sorry. I did have a single malt, but that was my mid-morning snack. "'You've got to stop this. I wanted to ask you something, your advice, your wisdom. "'I'm giving it. No, it's about God.' "'God?' "'The age-old question. "'God the arsehole. God the spiteful tormentor. God the sadist.' My son's friends are murdered. My son is murdered. The peasants are crushed by the peasant crushers. The tidal wave slaughters hundreds of thousands, and our religion offers us, what, an invitation to fall on our knees and give thanks? Our Saviour, who died on the cross for us. I mean, put in perspective, it wasn't that much of a sacrifice, was it? One bloke gets nailed up, and we go boo-hoo and build cathedrals. But all the rest of the carnage of ages is somewhat undervalued in comparison. Christ was crucified. Big deal. What about my son? What about my boy? What about all the human lives that are swept away by cruelty and disaster? And in the face of this, we Christians, we still believe we can have a personal relationship with God? That he listens to us when we pray? How absurdly deluded is it possible to be? It's not easy. Indeed. But I am trained in the dark arts of theological justification. I know what is said by the priests and the vicars to those in the depths of despair. God works in mysterious ways. We cannot know what purpose he has given any of us. Well, if it's such an effing mystery, then why bother? Mystery means lottery. God is merely the franchise holder, and there's no justice in that. Only luck. But God is compassion. No. What use is compassion after the event? If God cares, it is a random, lazy caring. And if God does not care, then prayer and devotion are useless. Prayer is never useless. God, to my mind, and I'll stop now to hear why I'm wrong, God and Jesus Christ and all the churches and all the books of the Bible are in the final reckoning a house of cards. Be done with them. And let your love and your devotion and your beautiful heart crawl out from under the wreckage of this great supernatural charade to live and breathe freely. God created the world, and let us get on with it. We reach out to Him for consolation and guidance, but there is no contract that limits disaster and suffering. We grow through suffering. We learn that the universe is cruel and overwhelming. Through prayer, the meditation on God, we become aware of our smallness, our vulnerability, and that should lead us to treat each other with respect and concern and ultimately love. It was never promised to us that the ocean wouldn't rage or that men would not kill each other. Nice try. Have another drink. I think one of us should stay reasonably sober. Sobriety is impervious to reason, I find. Slow down. I've been flooded with memories, with images of him. From all through his life, the little boy, my little boy, the way he would splash in the bath, the way he hated peas, the fury as he ran out of words when he was angry with me, all these things, and the notes. We used to write each other notes all along, post-its, scraps of paper. I kept them all in a box under my bed. I took them out and looked at them. I hugged the box to me. I pressed the paper against my face and felt the wounding sorrow. Why? My body, it buckles with pain. I cannot bear it. I cannot. The grief will last a long time. It will never go away completely. But you will cope, and you will recover enough to stagger on. Well, I'll certainly stagger. I don't want you to end up in the gutter. We are all in the gutter, but some of us are face down drinking our own vomit. She looks at him flailing away in the quagmire of his suffering. It is pity and sympathy, she feels. She dares not compare what he is enduring now with the merciless wrath of her own experience. How could she ever reveal any of that to him? Does she fear his judgment? Does she flinch from what would have to be a naked request for forgiveness? It is impossible. They had coaxed each other forward on this path of entanglement. Now he mattered. Now she mattered to him. But the desire for a little happiness was now uncovered as a terrifying risk. The more of another person you explore and accept and cherish, then the worse the consequence of any hidden flaw exposed. And what a flaw she had! The weight of the past, its brutal leaden mass crushing her. It was always crushing her with the inescapable facts of what happened. No good crying that she had outlived that earlier self had changed utterly had grown and matured and blossomed into a woman with powerful belief and profound and beautiful values. No good. I'm not news. Ah, well, I think you might be. I'm fish and chip paper. Very modest, Kim. Yes, Kim, your new name suits you. Very self-effacing. What do you want? It's a little project I've been planning. There's nothing to tell you. Your life, Kim, your life is news.' Say what you have to say, then go. Don't be hostile, Kim. I come in peace. No hard feelings. You wanted me hanged. Oh, that was just poetic license. I want you to leave. A feature. You get a big fee. Exclusive interview. Fifteen years on. I can't believe this. I'm just looking for a new angle. Pretty desperate stuff, I'd say. It's just a job. Why me? They've no memory. Unless they're reminded. It would destroy me. It's a human interest story. No. A serious story. A serious in-depth piece. Oh, please. Though she had prayed from the bottom of her soul to be somehow separated from her secret, she knew it was a vain wish. And now she was boxed into a corner. A visit from a journalist wanting her to tell her version of events all these years down the line, to clear the air. But she knew he was just a journalist, a hack, looking for a scoop, willing to throw her to the wolves to further his need for a headline. He had tracked her down. He had cracked the code and discovered her new name. Now she was powerless. She had not given an interview as such. She had spoken just to make him go away. I was destitute by the time I was sixteen. But I had two children, a boy and a girl, by the time I was eighteen and I was a bad mother. Oh, believe me, I was a very bad mother. I loved them, but my love for them kept reminding me of my hatred for myself. I had to keep working, the street, the game, whatever you want to call it, just to feed and clothe them, to hide them from the prying eyes of those who hunt down bad mothers. And there they were one day, standing in front of me, eyes accusing with their vulnerability and need, just standing there, and I was overcome with revulsion, for me, not for them. And what I did was, what I did that night, I cut their little throats while they were sleeping, and I burned their bodies, and the squalid flat where we lived. But, of course, I did not die as I had wished. The mother is a whore, Your Honour, the mother is a murdering whore. I did fifteen years. Of course, I tried to kill myself, oh, I don't know, five times, maybe more. But they had me on a suicide watch, and oppressively effective it was. So even that, putting me down, dealing with the filth of me once and for all, even that was denied. And this is the part where, if you're going to laugh, you will laugh loudest. In the worst, darkest horror of those days, I found the strength to turn away from my despair, and reconsider the terrifying opportunity of life. I discovered Christ. I discovered a saviour. I discovered forgiveness. And once you accept that you have been forgiven, then you must never, ever withhold that from anyone else. People can and do become better human beings. That's what she said. That's what she thinks she said. It was all a blur, all a horrible nightmare, a ghoul risen from the dead come to destroy her final attempt at love. And the article was due to be published, and there was no way, was there, that she could prevent the news from reaching Charles, because if she herself did not tell him, then someone else would. To the torment of his loss, then, would be added the disgust of her record, repugnance at what she had done, and rejection. What was she to do? might not the confession itself destroy her? What would be left then of the great healing her religion had enabled? Could her faith withstand even this late onslaught? She would write to him, give him the option of never seeing her again. At least that way she could save him the embarrassment of having to articulate his abhorrence. But there was no time, was there? He could find out any minute, and she couldn't let that happen. If she was to be stripped bare. If she was to be bathed in the acid of history, then at least let her be the agent of her own destruction. The howls of execration were ringing in her ears already, but speak she must. Can you still. can you still love God? God is dead. No, wait. Perhaps God is simply drunk, like me, and therefore unworthy of love. Can you still love me? Yes, I can still love you. And can you forgive me? There is nothing to forgive, except for your appalling taste in men. I know you are in pain, and I know you won't stop drinking, and I know this is the worst possible time to ask you to help me, but I have to ask you. Of course I will help you. I need to tell you about something that I did a long time ago. But I love you now. I didn't know you then. I have to tell you. I forgive you. I have to tell you. And can you forgive me too? Listen don't say anything, just listen. And so she speaks. And so she tells him who she really is and about what happened and why it is that she is telling him now. And then there is silence and she waits for his response. And as she waits it seems that the world has stopped moving and perhaps nothing matters and perhaps everything matters more than it ever did. But she knows but at least there is nothing more she can do. Thank you.